Coming up, three teams who got off to slow starts are making their push for the postseason in Major League Baseball. Miguel Cabrera joins the 500 Home Run Club. Who's the next guy on this list to achieve this great milestone? The NFL season draws closer as you have a key injury, another big signing, and two players thought to be out for week one will be back on the practice field this week. The NBA schedule, including Christmas Day with some over-under numbers and what's the latest with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. Another top men's player steps down from playing in the U.S. Open. It's time for Manny Pacquiao to hang it up. You've come to the right place to get your sports appetite satiated. I'll dissect it all and then some. But first, this message. Hey, everybody. Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a longtime listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other. For everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, and excellent spirits as always. Don't look now, people, but summer is slowly starting to slip away as we're exactly two weeks from Labor Day Monday. Where the hell does the time go? Summer went by in the blink of an eye. I'm already seeing ads for pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin this, pumpkin that. Everybody's welcoming that with open arms. Walking by retail shops where jackets, sweaters, long sleeve shirts are already in full effect. Please, can we just pump the brakes on that just for a second? Even with all that said, the sun hasn't set just yet as the sizzle of the sports world continues to heat up. And here to break it all down for you is yours truly, as this is J Reels Podcast. 
For my first timers, welcome aboard. And those who have been banging with me for now 210 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, August the 23rd, in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. The NBA schedule was released this past week, and everybody looks forward to that Christmas Day extravaganza, the five games, which I'll be sure to break down later on, as well as the opening night matchups where you know the LA Lakers are going to be front and center, and even the Milwaukee Bucks as they will raise the curtain, the championship banner, I should say, to the rafters of the Fiserv Forum against the Brooklyn Nets. So that's going to be an interesting opening night matchup. We'll get into everything that's happening in the association, including... What's the latest with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia? Is it going to be traded? Is there anything percolating? Nothing has bubbled to the surface, so I'll share a few thoughts on that. As well as what's happening in the NFL as the second preseason game for most has come and gone. A lot of the starters have performed. What does this mean now as we head into the final week of the preseason? As well as some news and notes where you have a key injury in New York for the Jets. A major signing up in Seattle and two players that weren't even supposed to start week one and were certainly doubtful at the time in Indianapolis. Well, they're going to be on the practice field this week, so I'll be sure to share all that later on, as well as what's happening in the NHL as the Arizona Coyotes may be looking for a new address. That's right. They may be out of Arizona if nothing happens to come down the pike as far as where they'll play. We'll talk about their future as well as the Sabres number one pick choosing to go back to college as opposed to being up with the big club come this fall. In tennis, you have a major men's player not going to participate in the upcoming U.S. Open, which is a week from today, which means does that bode well for one Novak Djokovic who is destined to complete a calendar grand slam as he'll embark on that at Flushing Meadow next week. Also, Manny Pacquiao, as he loses to a name that nobody even knew of or heard of up until Saturday night, is a time for Manny Pacquiao to hang it up. I'll touch on all that and then some, including my hero and zero of the week. But as we begin this final full week of August, and as September is just laying in the weeds, ready to rise up, and for everything I mentioned before, just a few weeks away from fall, Everything seems to be right in the baseball world as far as some of these teams and how they performed here over the last week to 10 days. Because when you look back at the beginning of the season, I chose the Yankees and Dodgers being my World Series representatives from the AL and NL. And then when you look at the National League East over the last three years, the Atlanta Braves have been the champions of that division and to think. They were one game away from going to a World Series last year where they had a 3-1 series lead against the Dodgers, but then spit the bit, and we all know the Dodgers went on to win the World Series in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season. But now with the Braves, and although they've beaten up on the underbelly of Major League Baseball because with them disposing the Marlins and even the Nationals as well as the Baltimore Orioles this past weekend to the tune of 18 consecutive losses for the Orioles, and you can only beat the teams that are in front of you, they have propelled themselves to a five-game cushion in the National League East over the floundering Phillies and the Mets, which, do I even need to get into them? I'll touch on them later on, but the theme right here to kick us off are the three hottest teams in baseball, and the number nine is circled around these three teams. And I'll start with the Braves because here's a team that out of the gate were like tortoises. 
slow as can be, couldn't find their way, Freddie Freeman was slumping, you had the scenario with Marcelo Zuna with the domestic violence issue where you haven't seen him for the rest of this year and chances are you're probably not going to see him in baseball anytime next year or beyond. Ronald Acuna Jr. suffers that ACL injury in Miami right before the All-Star break. So when you put all those things together, including their ace and a one Mike Soroka who went down with an Achilles injury last year and then this year has not performed at all, I believe due to the same injury, but when you have those components not put together and you kind of think if you live down in Georgia or in that region to say, well, we did win three National League East championships and this just doesn't seem to be our year right now because with everything that I just mentioned, it looked like this was either going to be a runaway for the Mets, ha, huh, or the Phillies were going to overtake the Mets as they did earlier in the month and it looked like they were going to be the team to beat in the National League East. Well, here we are on the morning of August the 23rd, and it's the Braves, with everything that I mentioned and everything that transpired, they're the team to talk about in the National League East and one of the teams to talk about in the National League, period. Because winners of nine straight, beating up on those bad teams, putting themselves in prime position to win another division. But although the waters will start to get a little testy and choppy and maybe even a little bit of a tidal wave that's going to come through because the Braves will host the Yankees for two games starting tonight, which will be an interesting test, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But then after two days off, which is a weird schedule quirk, but you have the Giants coming into Truist Park over the weekend. So not only do you have those five games against the front runners of the AL East, and even though they're not the top team, but they're the top wildcard team in the American League. And then, of course, the Giants, who have the best record in baseball. After that, they have to go to the West Coast to play the Dodgers and Padres. And the Padres, talk about a team that has fallen flat on their faces. They have relinquished their second spot in the NL wild card, and of course we'll break down all the scenarios later on, but anytime you go out west this late in the year with the grueling grind of the dog days of August heading into September down the home stretch of a season, we know that that's not going to be an easy trip for the Braves to make, so with all the cupcakes and the pansies off the schedule, these next two weeks will be a true test, even with a five-game lead, but lucky for them that they have have enough of a cushion to put themselves even in a position to go through a little bit of a losing streak or a stretch where they could lose a few series and it won't be as damaging. And give it up for Brian Snicker, give it up for everything that they've done so far over the last pretty much month and a half to get themselves in prime position to not only win the division but see if they could make another deep October run and maybe get to a World Series. Still a lot of time between now and then, but for a division right now, it looks like it's going to be theirs to win you have to give it up to what the Braves have done here. Even the contributions of a one Adam Duvall in the outfield and the trade that they had right before the deadline with the Miami Marlins. Uh, what could you say? Just this stupendous job by the Brave organization as they look like they're going to go on to a fourth straight division title. And then they'll lead us in the National League. We'll stay there, but the Los Angeles Dodgers who up until yesterday had a nine-game winning streak, snapped by the Mets, surprisingly, where the Dodgers, they beat up on some bad teams too. They had the three games against the Mets at Citi Field 
last weekend, sandwiched by the Pirates during the middle of the week, and then the Mets, who were competitive in those games against the Dodgers, but when you have a team that has been, I'm not going to say in cruise control, but have really turned it on here over the last couple of months with everything that they've done, and we know as deep and as loaded as the Dodgers are, you knew that they were going to be in contention, not only just for the wild card race, but even with that nine-game winning streak, not making up a lot of ground, because the Giants have played that much better, right, they haven't won a bunch of games in a row, but they continue to win series, so even if the Dodgers do happen to click off these wins, they're only creeping up slowly in the division and have not been able to overtake the Giants so far as we creep toward the end of August. And the Dodgers, as I've said, even with Mookie Betts out of the lineup, but you just plug in one guy and away they go. And that Dodger team is deep. It's loaded, as we know. They're defending champion. We know that they want to piggyback off of what took place last year. The shortened season, 60 games. It was legit. You got to give it up. They played the best team in the American League. So as much or as many people want to criticize the Dodgers as, ah, well, there's a little bit of an asterisk because of the shortened season. It's not as if the Dodgers weren't expected to make the playoffs, let alone win a World Series. We know the team is built for the long run. We know the team is built to win championships. So... You can't look at that as a knock or look at that as a, ah, well, let's see him do it over the course of 162. Yes, they came into the season with their over-under number at 105, which they're going to fall short of, but is anybody going to care if they just bulldoze through the postseason and win another World Series, go back-to-back for the first time in a long time when you think of baseball as far as teams winning back-to-back World Series? Off the top of my head, you got to go back to the 1999, 2000 Yankees. And remember, they won three straight during that run and four out of five. So for a team that is pretty much hell-bent on getting back to October to show and prove, and even with the loss yesterday, the Dodgers are in prime position themselves to get back to a fall classic. And then there are the Yankees, who also the number nine, Winners of nine straight with the week that they've had. Remember winning the back two in Chicago against the White Sox. They had a makeup game against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim that they won at home before hosting the Red Sox and sweeping them in a day-night doubleheader. And then the following day in a Wednesday night game, they had the Twins come into the Bronx, who they always manhandle. It doesn't matter whether regular season or postseason, and they pretty much did that over the weekend. They had a rain out there yesterday, so they weren't able to complete the four-game series and try to make it a 10 spot for the Bombers. But now their schedule gets a little bit tricky, similar to the Atlanta Braves, aforementioned Braves, of course, as the Yankees right now are down there in Georgia. As I mentioned, they're going to have a two-game set before a day off, and then they fly to the West Coast to play the Oakland Athletics for four games before going to Anaheim from there to play the Angels. And the Yankees right now, Clicking on all cylinders, a team that you expected to be at the top of the American League, whether it be in the AL East or the whole league in general, and with all the performances that they've had, the contributions, whether it's from the guys like Anthony Velasquez, the great story, the kid coming from the Bronx, making a small contribution in his way by not only playing the field, but also getting some big hits. We know the situation with Garrett Cole coming off of the COVID list to pitch in two starts to where he's been very good. May not as dominant Cole self, 
but just enough to win these games, whether it was the Monday night against Anaheim and then on Saturday against the Twins. You also have Luke Voigt, a guy who said a week or so ago that he was going to be a team player, that he understands the situation, but then a couple days after that, his ego kicks in where he says, I deserve to play, I was the home run leader in Major League Baseball last year where nobody cares, and it was over 60 games, whereas if he played 162, do you think that he would have been the Major League leader in home runs for 2020? Absolutely not. But, all right, he wants to chirp and say that. He can because he has made an imprint on this team coming back off of the IL and getting hits left and right, big hits at that, home runs, doubles, four for fours, you name it, to the point where they have to put Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield, and rightfully so. He's a guy that's making a ton of money. He shouldn't be your all-time DH. And with Voight being your designated hitter, having Rizzo back in the lineup at first base, putting Stanton in right where you have Judge in center, the Yankees right now are looking like a team that is destined for a long postseason run in October. And as I said at the very top, all is right in the baseball world because when you have those three teams, maybe not more so the Braves, but just their track record over the last few years and how they performed, everything seems to be going in sync with the Braves, Yankees, and Dodgers at this moment to where they've all either currently have nine-game winning streaks or just completed a nine-game winning streak. And Major League Baseball is pretty much getting themselves ready for, I don't know if it's going to be an exciting September when it comes to these pennant races, although you have another team, if you want to throw in the mix, that's gotten zero shine, especially from me, and have been on the outside looking in for so long, but now they put themselves right in the middle of this pennant race, and that's the Cincinnati Reds. With their four-game sweep over the Marlins this past weekend, and then the Padres, who have had that second spot for so long, and they're falling like a cement cinder block to the bottom of the ocean. Right now, they're a game behind the Reds for the second wildcard spot in the National League, and I'll dissect it all in a minute, but give the Reds credit. This is a team going into the regular season that didn't really have a bullpen. Remember, they traded their star, Raysel Iglesias, to the Angels before the start of the season. They still had their pitching woes, although Luis Castillo was the linchpin of their rotation. And we know their lineup is spearheaded by Joey Votto, but they have, for whatever the reason, been able to put the pieces together. They've been able to be consistent, haven't suffered the long losing streak or the stretch of a regular season where you know they're going to go through losing, let's say, 8 of 12 or 12 of 16. They've been able to not be a product of that. They've been consistent. They've been able to play good baseball. All right, they've beaten up some bad teams, and they do have bad teams in their division, i.e. the Cubs and the Pirates, which I'm sure they'll see quite a bit between now and the end of the season. But as I've said before, and I'll say it one last time, you only play the teams that are in front of you, and if they happen to be the dregs of the National League or even the American League for that matter, and if you beat up on them, then so be it. That's your job to do that. Because if you're not going to beat up on those teams and you're going to fall short of the postseason, those are the games that you're going to kick yourself in the rear end all offseason long to say, why can we beat up on those teams? So the Reds playing well and the aforementioned three teams that are pretty much at the top or near the top of their respective divisions. And before we even take a look at the landscape, 
A couple of things before we get there. Miguel Cabrera, yesterday in Toronto, hit his 500th home run in his career. We know Miggy's going to go to the Hall of Fame in roller skates. Triple crown winner, MVP, the elusive World Series as a Detroit Tiger. Remember, he did win a World Series with the Marlins back in 2003. A lot of people kind of forget that now because he's so far removed from those days of the Marlins. But we all know the type of player and the type of hitter that Cabrera has been. Although the offensive numbers aren't there anymore, we know that he's getting up there in age and he still has a few years left on his contract. But it does beg the question as to who's next for the 500 home run milestone. And the few players that come to mind as as a given, Mike Trout, although he's missed the majority of this year with his calf, but he has, I believe, 310 home runs off the top of my head. So he's less than 200 away. If he stays healthy and he's only 30 years of age and we still know he has a million years left on his contract, you would think he's going to be the one guy that's going to come close to it. The one guy who's actually close right now and obviously is active is Nelson Cruz of the Tampa Bay Rays. And he is 57 home runs away. The thing is, is that at 41 years of age and not knowing how much time he has left, you would think, although he hasn't been productive with the average, batting average that is, with the Rays, he's still been able to hit home runs. He has seven home runs as a member of Tampa, and then combine that with what he did in Minnesota, he does have 26 home runs. So we know that he's still capable of hitting balls out of the yard. But knowing that he's a DH pretty much at this stage of his career, and what other team out there after this year is going to sign an aging but slugging 41 turning 42-year-old player, it's going to be tough for him to get close to that plateau, let alone even break it, because At the pace that he's going, he's going to need at least two more years. So if you give him 2022, if there is baseball, because we all know there's a collective bargaining agreement on the horizon, which could lead until God knows when. And then he'll need the following year to come close or if not break 500. He's going to be the one guy that, although people will look at it right now, because Trout is still years away from achieving that, Is Nelson Cruz going to be that next guy to break it? Right now, I'm going to say no because with the upcoming labor agreement and him turning 42 years old and what team is going to want to roll the dice to think that they could get another 30 home runs just out of the next year, whether it would be 2022 or beyond, that still remains to be seen. But to go at this one year at a time and remember, he's going to regress. He's not going to progress. I think he's going to fall short. If you ask me, but can he do it? I think he can, provided that he does continue to hit home runs at the clip that he's been currently doing. But with the player now that is in the class, I'm not going to say the class of Mike Trout, but is in the era of the Trouts, and you want to even say the Giancarlo Stanton, the Bryce Harper, the Manny Machado, because those are going to be the next level of guys. Stanton currently has 332 home runs. He's 168 home runs away. He still has seven years left on his deal. So even if he averages, and this is after this year, if he averages 25 home runs from here on out, if he doesn't hit another home run this year, he will get 500 home runs. But we all know with his track record with injuries and 
Who knows what's going to happen year in, year out with Stanton. You would think that if he does stay healthy, he will eclipse 500, but that's a toss-up right now. I can't say. It's still seven years, a lot of years left. I'm sure if he stays healthy, he's going to have minimum 35 home runs in his sleep. And people could say, well, what happened this year, Jay Reels? I did do believe he did spend some time on the IL early on this year, but he hasn't missed a ton of games as he has in the past two years. So right now, that is a big question mark on whether or not he could get to 500. Trout, I think he will get to 500, even with the injuries that he suffered over the last few years. As far as Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, they're right now in the, I believe, anywhere between 230 and 250. We know that they have long contracts and many years ahead of them, but Harper, although he's had a very good year, and I believe he has 20 home runs, but he's not a guy that other than the 2015 year, which I believe he hit 41 home runs, and we all know he has the power, and we all know that he he can put up home runs in his sleep, but he's not a guy that's going to crank out 35, 40 home runs a year. Just look at the back of his baseball card. And the same for Manny Machado. Ever since he's gone to San Diego, he's put up good numbers, but he hasn't put up MVP caliber numbers. And if you're going to get to 500 home runs, you're going to have to put up MVP caliber numbers. So you're going to have to hit 35 to 40 home runs in order to get to 500. And yes, like I said with Stanton, you could hit 25 home runs and have good years, anywhere between 25 to 30, to get to 500. And of course, it would still count in the record books. But if you want to be great, and if you want to smash that 500 home run plateau, you want to do that with some monster years. You want to do that with 35, 40, 45 home run type years, and not just for one year. You want to do that for three, four, five years to where you're getting close to that mark and not wondering whether or not it's going to be a foregone conclusion that, oh yeah, there's no way that this guy's going to pass 500 home runs. You want to look at, let's say, if you're in your 400 to 420 home run category and you're still, let's say, 80 to 100 home runs are away, but you still have a good five years ahead of you, or we'll say a good three to four years, let's put it in that perspective, that you're going to look at that and say, oh yeah, they're going to snap that without question. They're going to surpass it in their sleep. You don't want to have two more years left on your contract and you're at 440 and you're like, oh geez. Can this guy hit 30 home runs over the next two years or the last two years of his contract to get to 500? So with those guys, do they have the talent to do it? Absolutely. Are they going to do it? Right now, I can't say that. And it's way too early to get into the Fernando Tatis Juniors or the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors for them to get to 500. I mean, please, they're just getting their journey started. The Juan Soto's. So I'm not even going to touch those guys right now. I'm looking at it from the guys who have already put in 8, 9, 10 years in the major leagues that have come close to half of the 500 home runs that you need to get there. In this case, Harper Machado. And then the players that have hit over 300 home runs like Trout and Stanton as the ones to kind of push the envelope or to get to 500 home runs, those are going to be the guys you're going to look at right here. And then Nelson Cruz is the one guy that's the closest, but I think he's going to fall short. So that's something that we could talk about down the road, but congratulations to Miguel Cabrera. What a career that he's had. And the next 
milestone for him is 45 hits away from 3,000. That's going to be close for him this year. He's going to have to get a bunch of multi-hit games to get to 3,000 before the end of the season. We know he still has a few years left on his contract, so even if he comes close and doesn't eclipse it this year, we know that going into next year, barring his health, then you would think that he'll only be but a dozen, two dozen hits away from 3,000. So we'll think about that then, even though that's something that we'll have on our radar here between now and the end of the year to see where he falls, whether he does get to 3,000 or not. So we'll keep our eyes on that. And last week, we touched on the Field of Dreams game between the Yankees and White Sox and the thrilling ending of that game, the backdrop of the Iowa Cornfields, Field of Dreams, the movies, of course, and how moving forward, they were going to implement this. I don't know if this is going to be a thing where they have it set for the next five years, 10 years, if this is going to be ongoing, if this is just going to be a trial basis to see. Well, based on the success of the first game, right away you have the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. That will be your Field of Dreams game next year. I don't know what the date is right now. Who knows if it's going to be a Fox game. Now the Cubs, we know that they capture America. They're Cub fans all over the place. And the Reds are one of the founding fathers of the Major League Baseball, not only not only the National League, but just Major League Baseball on a whole. So, the one thing about that game, it doesn't bring the same sex appeal as Yankees-White Sox. And yes, if you're a baseball purist, this does. But for the young fan, I'm sure they probably looked at Cubs and Reds. Really? They couldn't get two better teams. They couldn't get the Dodgers. They couldn't get even the Giants, for that matter. They couldn't throw in the Red Sox. You're not going to bring the Yankees back. You're not going to bring that type of team back into the fold. They want to switch it up a little bit. And I'm sure the National League was a big part because of the Cubs' history and then obviously with the Reds. And they have a long and deep history as well. But obviously it's not as sexy as your Yankees, your Red Sox, Dodgers, etc. So a lot of people may have or may be questioning why those two teams. And I know that the Cubs, they're shelled of their old selves Dating back to the 2016 World Series, you know they'll retool. You know that they'll try to be competitive next year and have a semblance of a playoff team come 2022. And the Reds, as I mentioned before, and you got to give them all the praise in the world, but they don't really have the star power unless your name is Joey Votto, but they don't have the attraction of a bunch of guys or a few guys on a team that you could hang your hat on to say, oh yeah, it's Joey Votto, it's this guy, it's that guy. And nobody's going to be jumping up and down for Jesse Winker or Eugenio Suarez or guys like that where if they walk down the street, you wouldn't pick them out of a lineup. So that's going to be your game next year. And I know it's going to have some charm. And because the Reds and the Cubs, they play in the Midwest, I'm sure a lot of people will try to flock to that area when the game's going to be played. But let's see if it's going to have the same appeal that it did this time around with the Yankees and White Sox as it would next year for the Cubs and Reds. Now, as far as the wild card and the division races go, the divisions are pretty much status quo. Nothing much has really changed there. When we take a look at that landscape, we talked about the NL East. Who knows if the Phillies are going to make a push or even the Mets for that matter. And I'm not going to get too much into the Mets right now. I've talked about them over the last couple of weeks. Maybe next week I'll get into them as we get into September. 
They'll have a little bit of a soft schedule upcoming for them, but right now they're just on the back end of this 13-game stretch with the Dodgers and Giants, and right now as we wake up, they are 2-8 and eight against them. So I don't expect that to get any better. Same with the West, as we talked about the Giants and Dodgers, two and a half games separate them. You can forget about the Padres, they're 13 games behind at the moment. And then you have the Brewers and Reds, where even though the Reds have put themselves in the wildcard mix, but they're still seven and a half games behind the Brewers. And although they do go to Milwaukee for three games here this week, even if the Reds somehow, someway swept them, they still have or would have a four and a half game lead and five in the loss if that were to be the case. So all the Brewers need to do is win one game just to keep the Reds at bay. And then in the American League, the Rays still have a four and a half game lead over the Yankees, four on the loss. So pretty much a comfortable lead there, although the Yankees are coming on strong. White Sox, a nine and a half game lead, eight and a loss as the White Sox stub their toe and the Indians have played a little bit better, but please, the Indians aren't going anywhere. So the White Sox could just pretty much put their feet up for the rest of the year. And then the A's still have a... Sizable lead, I don't want to say sizable, but three and a half games, four in the loss. So they maybe can't put their feet up like the White Sox are, but it's a good enough cushion that they have some leeway. They could go through a little bit of a tough stretch and not have to worry about their division lead shrinking at any point in time here, or especially over the course of the next week between now and then, unless they just completely fall on hard times. But the Mariners have an interesting series because... I haven't put the Mariners in the class as far as the division goes, but as we turn our attention to the wild card, the Mariners play the A's for two games starting tonight, and that's going to be an interesting stretch here for the A's because they have the Mariners coming in for two and then the Yankees coming in for four starting on Thursday. But the Athletics are tied with the Red Sox for the second wild card spot in the American League. And the Mariners are just three back. The Blue Jays are four and a half back. So you have to throw them in the mix as well. And three in the loss. So that's even more important because even though where it looks at in the standings four and a half, you think, oh, geez, they have a lot of ground to make up. But only three in the loss. And that counts because that's where it really matters when you look at the standings. So that's a race that we're going to pay attention to. And then in the National League with the Reds overtaking the Padres and then the Cardinals have put themselves... In decent position here, only three in the loss, four and a half behind the Reds. And remember, they play in the same division. I have to take a look to see how many games they have left on the calendar. Let's see if I pull up the Cardinals. The Cardinals, as I look at it here, and you know what? I don't even have the Cardinals here as I did my little breakdown, my outline. So I didn't think they were going to put themselves in a position to where They would make themselves in the wild card mix. So starting next week, I'll be sure to do that, even at four and a half with three in a loss. But just looking at it here, the Cardinals host the Dodgers. They go to San Francisco, and they have to play. No, as a matter of fact, they have to play the Padres. They also have, because I'm looking at the other teams that they play, Whereas, like I said, the Dodgers, they're going to be in St. Louis for four games. Same for the Padres. So yeah, they're going to have some very interesting games coming up. And again, they're going to have to play 
for all intents and purposes, the Reds, the Brewers, I know they also have the Pirates and the Cubs on the schedule. So I'll be sure to get them on the docket next week to see what their progress will be like. And then the Dodgers right now, they will have the top spot in the National League. They have a nine and a half game lead in the wild card. So I know they want to have their sights set on a division and rightfully so because you avoid the one game playoff and anything could happen in a one game playoff, even with the likes of Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, and Max Scherzer for that matter. We all know how deep their rotation is. So the Dodgers could pretty much put themselves in cruise control because they're going to make the playoffs in their sleep. And that's what you have here in baseball, people. You have a couple of teams that have put themselves in position here that you didn't think that they were going to be, whether in the wild card or even in the division for that matter. And will it be compelling? Will it be exciting? Will we see a bump, whether the Phillies can make a stretch that they could inch closer to the division? Same for the Mets for that matter, as they got a big boost from Javi Baez yesterday as he came off the I.L., and put forth a good offensive performance to get the Mets back in the win column before coming back east. Francisco Lindor could be in the lineup at some point this week, so who knows what that'll do. The Mets need Jacob DeGrom in the worst way, but I don't think he's going to be walking through that door anytime soon. You know I'll have it all monitored here from now to the end of the regular season as baseball getting into the home stretch here once we get into September and once football is going to be in our conscience, obviously it's going to be full steam ahead to October for Major League Baseball, and we will definitely be on top of it from here on out for the remainder of this regular season. All right, now let's turn our attention to the NFL as the preseason will conclude this coming Thursday. And to think, you're going to have a lot of these games where it's going to be third and fourth stringers. These games are unwatchable. I've said it time after time. I haven't watched other than the Hall of Fame game where I watched two offensive series by the Steelers I am not a preseason fan by any stretch. I always tell people, wake me up on the first Sunday. Yes, I'll get into the opening night game, Dallas and Tampa, of course. I'll turn it on. I'll see how both of these teams will perform. But to me, NFL, the first Sunday of the season is opening day. Wake me up then. Big game, Pittsburgh at Buffalo, and you know that I'm going to be all over that. But... As we head into this final week where you'll have two weeks off of no competition and pretty much the storyline right here are some of these quarterbacks that I touched on last week that are making some headway as far as maybe if not starting for their teams but giving the coaching staffs of these two teams in particular a lot to think about as they get closer to start off the 2021 NFL season. And the first one will be the Jets. It's a foregone conclusion, I think, that Zach Wilson is your quarterback because, as we talked about last week, the backups on this team probably have more combined passes than I do as far as live action goes because these are guys with James Morgan and uh, these guys I haven't even heard of. And, of course, you have to have a backup of some sorts, no matter who it is, whether it's an aging veteran or a journeyman, whomever it may be. But we all know that the brass of the Jets are putting – all the chips to the middle of the table when it comes to the number two overall pick. And pretty much what he showed there the other day against Green Bay was very impressive. Now, obviously I need to see real live action. It's like having the young rookie in spring training hit 
nine home runs throughout the course of the month that they play in those games. Similar to Pete Alonso, I'll give him as an example. Now, I understand he translated that to a record-breaking rookie year and hitting 53 home runs, but we all know you could have the most scintillating performances on the field during preseason and show a lot of promise and show the ability, etc. But once you get under snap game one against a frontline defense or the first team defense, all bets are off at that point. That is when you really have to show improve. And I'm not trying to throw cold water on Zach Wilson. Listen, I hope he does well. And for the Jet fan, I hope that this guy is the answer. You've been looking for your franchise quarterback since Joe Willie Namath. Because since then, in the mid-70s, you haven't had that guy. And we all thought it was going to be Sam Darnold, and that experiment didn't work out. And as the chips fell, they had the number two pick overall, and they saw what they liked in Wilson, so now he's the next guy. So I would think that all the pressure, all the hype that has surrounded this kid, especially coming out of BYU, he wasn't that guy, I'm not going to say the anti-Trevor Lawrence, but he was a guy that was on nobody's radar pretty much the whole college football season until maybe toward the end. And then during the draft process, the combine, etc., just moved and zoomed all the way to close to the top. And now he's going to be playing for a franchise that starved not only just for a winning season, but for that elusive franchise quarterback and hoping to take them to where Broadway Joe once took them 52 years ago, and that's winning a Super Bowl. So that's number one. And the other thing is, in San Francisco with Trey Lance, after another slow start, he picked up his game, showed a lot of promise, and even more improvements. And again, can you get crazy about these games? Absolutely cannot. In beating the Chargers there, I believe it was yesterday, they had a game yesterday afternoon. Lance, another guy who is very raw, has shown that he can be elusive, has the big arm, etc. But now... If he's going to be the next guy, and right now it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. There's no way that Kyle Shanahan is going to seat a guy who's making a ton of money on the bench unless there's going to be a trade that's in the wings or that's going to percolate here over the next two weeks because Lance is going to be that guy that's going to carry the torch and be the next quarterback for the Niners. And not to knock Garoppolo, We know he has the ability. We know two years ago he came off of that ACL. But I would think that if you're Kyle Shanahan and to have a guy who not only could throw the ball over the lot, but could also run with his legs where Garoppolo, yes, he can slide, move out of the pocket, is not going to have that blazing speed, is not going to have that open field type of maneuverability where he's going to zoom past defensive linemen or be able to elude linebackers where Trey Lance... He's a guy that could do that, or at least has the potential to do that. So I would think that although the front burner is going to be warm for one Trey Lance, it's not going to be turned on full blast because number 10 is going to be sitting right there ready for opening day. And you would think, unless the phones are ringing off the hook for John Lynch to where they're inquiring about Garoppolo to be the guy to possibly take whichever team that's interested in him, to that next level, he's going to be the guy that's starting in week one. 
and not Lance. But that's something you have to keep in mind and pay attention to the strides that he's made so far this preseason and wondering if he's going to be a guy that's going to be plugged in, let's say in the middle of a year where even if the Niners are playing well, let's say if they're 4-3 and three or 5-3, and three, maybe their fringe playoff team a la many years ago with Kurt Warner when he was supplanted by Eli Manning. And then you have to go through your growing pains and go through a lot of the rookie mistakes that is going to be pretty much apropos when it comes to having a guy that's going to be drafted as high as you are and is going to be the focal point of your team moving forward. All that remains to be seen, but again, we will certainly pay attention to that as we get closer, not only to the start of the season where the Garoppolo stays or goes, and I'm not trying to say that a deal is imminent or there are some rumors, but in this league, you just never know. Stranger things have happened, and who knows if a quarterback goes down and a team is looking to upgrade, there you go. They may make a call out to the Bay Area to see the availability of a one Jimmy Garoppolo. But besides that, pretty much status quo, I didn't get into hard knocks. I watched the first episode. It was too much Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott for me. And I get it. They're going to be the mainstays. They're going to be the spotlight as well as Jerry Jones. I know Micah Parsons was part of that first one. But unlike years past in watching hard knocks, I like to get the whole scope. Yes, we know the injury Dak Prescott's coming off of. He signed a big contract. We know the expectations, etc. Same for Ezekiel Elliott, top paid running back, regressed a little bit, how he came in and lost all this weight. All right, understood. But I want to see more from either the aging veteran that's trying to hang on or even the 53rd guy on the team, the guy that was working at UPS, the guy that was selling insurance, the guy that pretty much was off the street just trying to get a job. I want to see more of that. Now, granted, that guy may get cut and that guy not may not be able to make the team, but the average person can relate to that guy because he's the underdog. The stars, and rightfully so, I get that they're going to get the shine, they're going to get a lot of the pub, but we also want to see what's going to happen with the middle of the pack or middle of the run guy or that person that has been on three other teams or has been to other training camps that hasn't been able to latch onto a team, and here he is pretty much in a last-ditch effort to try to make the team, you know, we would like to hear his story. But, and I understand, I can't base it all on that first episode. I need to watch last week, and then the next one will be tomorrow. But for those wondering if I've gotten into hard knocks, to me, it's not the same the way it once was many years ago because they I don't think they touch on those stories, those heartfelt stories as much as they did once upon a time. That's my point. Now, maybe I need to watch that second episode. Maybe I'll do so and get back to you next week on that. So maybe I'll be a little homework for me to do and just to get a better feel of this series with Hard Knocks this time around with the Cowboys in their third go-around. As far as some big news and notes, you had a key injury. Speaking of the Jets, we talked about Zach Wilson, but their big defensive signee of this past offseason, Carl Lawson, the linebacker tore his Achilles and he's done for the season. Just that's a tough blow. And the Jets have been unlucky with these free agent signings. Look at CJ Mosley a few years back. He made his impact in that opening game against the Bills where he had an interception return for a touchdown, making plays all over the field. And then I believe it was his groin or a hammy, whatever it was, it pulled on him. And then he hasn't been seen since. 
So now to lose Lawson, that's a big blow. And the Jets, we know that this season, if they get six wins out of Zach Wilson, that's going to be a plus. And it's going to be tough because you were hoping that you would have been out of this wilderness with the young quarterback or the franchise quarterback by having the aforementioned Sam Darnold on your team. But now that you're starting over, you're looking at a season where you're probably going to be on the high side, six wins, and on the low side, maybe three wins. So not having a defensive stalwart like Lawson in there is certainly a blow to your team. Speaking of, well, in this case, former Jets, Jamal Adams, the trade from last year from New York to Seattle, he signed his extension four years, $72 million, $20 million signing, $38 million guaranteed. We know he's a very good young safety. I believe he's made an all-pro team a couple of years ago. So the Seahawks got him locked up for the next four years as they try to get themselves back into contention, especially with Russell Wilson as he's getting older and the team around them, although young in certain spots, but they have a tremendous upgrade, especially in that secondary by having Adams locked in for almost the next half a decade. And then on the injury front, when we talked about weeks ago about how Carson Wentz went down with that foot injury and he was going to be out 5 to 12 weeks with surgery, and then just days after that, the all-pro guard, Quentin Nelson, went down with the same injury. You thought to yourself, geez, the biggest part of your team in the quarterback and the biggest anchor on your offensive line going down relatively hours apart, knowing that week one was going to be a stretch, that you're probably looking at somewhere week six, week seven. Well, Colt fans, you don't have to worry about that because they're going to be on the practice field as early as this week. Maybe even today they could be on as I speak. So to have those two guys in the mix is a big sigh of relief. And you wonder whether or not they'll get enough reps. You know they're probably not going to play in the final preseason game this coming week. But I would think they're going to get a bulk of the reps. And obviously just by muscle memory alone, they'll be ready for week one if they're going to be 100% healthy and ready to go. So that's some excellent news there. And you had a couple other news and notes off the field where... Former GM of the Tennessee Titans, Floyd Reese, died at the age of 73 over the weekend as the family apprised the team not only of his death, but also the condition. He did have cancer. It was unknown as to what type of cancer he had. He died with his family at his Brentwood home. So thoughts and condolences go out to the Reese family. Again, the architect of that 2000 team, Steve McNair, Eddie George, coached by Jeff Fisher, so he leaves us way too soon. And again, thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Reese family. And then keeping it in the Titan family is Mike Vrabel being tested positive for COVID, so he's going to be out for the next, I guess, 10 days or so. And who knows if any other players or coaching staff has been affected. I guess we'll wait in due time to see if that's been the case, but Vrabel will be out, you would think, for at least 10 days and will be on the sidelines there for week one as is still plenty of time between now and their first game of the season. And then quickly in college football because that season starts a week from this coming Thursday. Can you believe that? So 10 days from today, you're going to have college football action as that will usher in the Labor Day weekend. And the only thing I'll talk about here is the AP preseason polls. No surprise, by any stretch, Alabama is your number one 
in the country. Follow that by Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, and your fifth team. I have it ranked here. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Ohio, Georgia, and I'm missing the fifth team. In fact, it's Clemson. How could I forget them? One more time. Bama, then Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia are your top five in college football as we're now, count on both hands, 10 days away from kicking off the college football calendar. All right, now let's get to the NBA as the big news of the week was the schedule. And everybody looks forward to that because just like with the NFL, when you look at, oh, who's playing week one, who's got the primetime games, who's playing out during Thanksgiving, those three games. When the NBA schedule comes out, you always look at the opening night. And then on top of that, you think about Christmas Day. You think about those five games that are going to be played. That's going to take up, obviously, all afternoon into the evening, 13 hours, wall-to-wall, NBA. And before we even get to the opening night, your Christmas Day games are in this order. 12 noon at the Garden, rematch of the first-round series between the Hawks and Knicks. The 2.30 game is Celtics at Bucks. Your 5 o'clock game would be Golden State at Phoenix. Now, I don't know if it's Golden State at Phoenix or Phoenix at Golden State. I didn't go deep to find out whether that is. I was probably going to be at Golden State if I had to guess. So you have the Western Conference champs going up against the Warriors and hopefully a complete and healthy Warrior team with, of course, Steph Curry, obviously Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, etc. Your primetime game, 8 o'clock, Brooklyn Nets at the Los Angeles Lakers, and you have stars abound, as we all know, and Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, littered throughout that game. And then your nightcap at 10.30 will be Dallas at Utah. So you have a very intriguing NBA quintuple header highlighted by Lakers Nets at LA to be the jewel of your Christmas Day. And your opening night games will be Brooklyn at Milwaukee. So the Bucks will get their rings in their building. The banner raised to the rafters. Remember that compelling round two series between the Nets and the Bucks to where if Kevin Durant had his foot six inches behind the three-point arc, chances are the Nets would have gone on and played an NBA final against the Phoenix Suns, but that wasn't to be the case. We all know that it was Giannis reaching the top of the NBA mountain with the rest of his teammates to win the NBA championship. And then you have Golden State playing at LA against the Lakers, the new Lakers with Russell Westbrook, and all the players that follow through this past offseason that they've signed, whether it's Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard. Uh, You go through the list. And that's not to mention, obviously, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. And LeBron James took some umbrage this week because where they had this poll, I believe this was amongst GMs and coaches, if I'm not mistaken, maybe not the writers. Uh, I want to say pretty much executives throughout the league where LeBron got zero votes for being the best player in the sport. And of course, he went to social media, had his MJ, I took a personal moment, you know, the washed King reference and 
the kid from Akron, striving for greatness, all that. And you know what? If he has that little chip on his shoulder, which I'm sure he will, and he'll take that into the regular season and throughout and into the postseason, more power to him. I believe a lot of the executives picked Kevin Durant as the top player in the NBA, followed by Giannis, and it was close, I believe, with the way the votes broke down. But for LeBron not to get any votes, can he take some numbers to that? Absolutely. And I get that he's going to be 38 years of age, or actually 37 this upcoming season because he's currently 36, going into his, I believe, what, 19th NBA season. And although injuries slowed him down a bit last year, but when healthy, his production has not declined. So if he's going to go through a whole season on whether or not he's going to use that as a motivating tool to try to get him back to the ranks of the top NBA player, then I could see him using that as fuel throughout the whole season. But as far as the schedule on a whole goes, unlike the NFL, I'm not going to go through like all these key matchups or when, let's say, Russell Westbrook's going to play against the Wizards. Does anybody really care? Or going up against his old team, Oklahoma City. I get that we could probably look at the other Brooklyn and Laker matchup, but I'll wait as we get closer to the beginning of the season because I'm not going to really dissect the NBA schedule right now. I look at the opening night to see who's going to play there and Christmas. Those are pretty much the two big days of the NBA calendar that you're going to look at to see who's going to match up with whom at that time. One thing that did come out also this past week was the over-under numbers. And I'm going to say this. The over-under numbers are relatively low because you probably have to factor in load management and injuries when it comes to these teams, and in particular the Brooklyn Nets, because they got the highest number out of all. And I believe their number is 54.5. But for that team, as loaded as they are, and the same for even the Bucks and the Lakers, I'll get to them in a second. But for their over-under numbers to be anything less than, let's say, 57.5, you'd almost have to take these numbers as an over because... You would think that in their sleep, and granted, load management and the recent injury history of these players, whether your name is Kyrie Irving or James Harden, etc., even Kevin Durant for that matter, but for the Nets to have the highest number at 54.5, when this team, if healthy, and not to say that all three have to be healthy, but even if two of the three guys are healthy, they're going to win 60 games. You would almost have to take them as an over, don't you think? Now, the Bucs are second on that list at 53.5. Now, they don't really have guys that would be deemed load management guys because Giannis plays every game unless he gets nicked up and they want to rest him. All right, fine. But he pretty much plays in every game. The Lakers over under is 51.5. Now, we all know with Anthony Davis and what he's had to endure here as far as injuries the last couple of years, same for LeBron, especially this past year. And they have an older team. They do have a nice mix when you think about it with some of the pieces that they've added but you bring in a guy like Carmelo obviously Westbrook although at 32 years of age but he's on the other side of the mountain although he still plays with a lot of high energy and high intensity understood but these over under numbers unlike years past where you had teams that were in the high 50s 
or even 60 for that matter, depending on how good you are, very low to see these numbers the way they are. And I think a lot of it has to factor and attribute to the whole load management deal. And this is all you need to know about the over on the numbers. If you had to take a guess for the Clippers, and we know the Clippers are a team that you would think are going to be close to the top, if not at the top of the Western Conference, but as I talked about last week, the poster child for load management being Kawhi Leonard, the Clipper over-under number is 44.5. Now, even with Kawhi playing 50 games, the Clippers are going to beat that without question. Now, they would need some more injuries, like Paul George would have to be out for a long, significant amount of time, but 44.5? Seriously? So that's what you got there. I'm not going to go through the whole list now. I'll talk about this at a later date, especially as we get closer with over-under numbers. And the same for the NFL. I'll get into that before week one when we talk about over-under numbers and, of course, the knockout pool. So we'll definitely share my predictions at that time. But I wanted to throw in the NBA over-under numbers because I thought that those were very low. But again, load management is a key contributor to that. And it's just sad to think that that's the case because a lot of these teams are going to blow past that number if they're relatively healthy, obviously if they're fully healthy, but from one day to the next, you just never know if these guys are going to play in these games. So that's why these numbers are severely low-balled when it comes to their over-under win totals for the year. All right, a few cookies with the NBA before we move on. The Celtics have made some deals here, re-signing Marcus Smart and Robert Williams, both two extensions, Smart $77 million. Williams, $54 million. A little bit surprised about Williams, although he does have tremendous upside, but I still need to see more of it, and I see I need to see more scoring on top of that. We know he could defend. We know he could rebound. He's a rim protector, all that, but I would like to see some more offensive output other than put-back dunks and things of that nature, which that's going to be his game. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be outside the perimeter shooting mid-ranges and three-pointers, unless he's doing that in the gym right now, but... And I get it, they want him to be part of the core, he's going to be more of a glue guy, understood, similar to Smart. So those two re-up, and let's see how they perform in this upcoming season. And speaking of Celtics, or in this case former Celtics, Terry Rozier, he also gets an extension, four years, $97 million, he was the lead scorer last year, Scary Terry as we once called him when he was a member of the Celtics, Uh, and he's certainly improved his game from his time in Boston over to Charlotte, so... Congrats to him on that. You've also had a little bit of a fallout with the Warriors dating back to a couple of years ago where in a recent podcast with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green where they point the finger at Steve Kerr, the coach, and also the GM, Bob Myers. If you recall that quarrel at the end of a game between the Warriors and Clippers in L.A., to where Draymond Green brought up the ball in the final seconds of a tie game, and he ended up taking the final shot, which he missed, and then it went into overtime, and then the Clippers won, to where after the shot attempt, both Durant and Green were seen arguing on the sidelines. There was a bit of a commotion. Not that it was going to come to blows or anything like that, but you could see both players were hotly engaged, And then after that, it was pretty much diffused by the coach and the GM to the point where in this podcast, and not to get into every particular nook and cranny, but they put the onus on 
the coach and GM only because they tried to act like it didn't happen. They did discipline Green for one game. He got suspended due to his actions on that, saying that they were trying to more so protect Durant than Green and that they pretty much swept it under the rug and didn't want to make a big deal out of it. They felt that that was the beginning of the end as far as Durant coming back to Golden State to run it back and make another run of the title or two. That's water under the bridge. I mean, does anybody really care two years later after the fact whether or not Durant could have stayed? And if he did stay, fine. But if they're going to look at an incident that happened, I believe that was late November or early December at the latest. You know, this wasn't anything that happened in March or toward the end of the season where you could say, whoa, what's going on here? But for that incident to be the trigger point of why Durant didn't come back, I guess I have to believe it, but to me, that's just a reach. If Durant already had his sights set on Brooklyn, whether it was a week after that, two weeks, that one incident, to me, is that going to really define whether or not Durant's going to go back? Unless there was some blatant disrespect, and the one thing about Coach Kerr he has a lot of respect of his players and even respect throughout the league as far as what he's done as a coach. Now, granted, he came into the best situation you possibly could considering that Mark Jackson was the coach prior to him and brought his team into contention, brought his team to respectability by the Bay, and then all Kerr had to do was just pretty much put the final touch of his own coaching ability. And remember, he was a first-time coach. And he gives all the credit to Mark Jackson, as we know. But to think that the GM, Bob Myers, and Kerr were responsible for Durant getting out of there, I don't know. I'm not sold on that. And then I know Bob Myers, just days after Durant signed with the Brooklyn Nets, reaches out to Durant to say, we're going to retire your number after three years. I get it. He won two titles and was a two-time finals MVP. But geez. You're going to retire the number right away? So that's what we have there. And then lastly, with Joel Embiid signing his extension four years for $196 million, to me it brought to the attention of what's going on with Ben Simmons. Here was a guy, as we all know, in his last game against the Hawks, under the basket, passing up layups or dunks, not having any confidence to shoot the basketball. As we all know, he can't shoot the ball in the ocean if he's on a cruise ship. And for the Sixer brass to just kind of stay mum, unless they're working the phones privately or behind the scenes, you have to wonder whether or not Simmons is going to be on the move here. Because this is going to be a storyline as training camp is still probably about a month away. I know that they don't want to have this hanging over their heads. They're going to have to make a decision here, I would think, in the coming weeks to say either he's on the block. Not that they have to publicly say that. You're going to know that just based on rumors. Or they should flat out say, we've worked with him in the offseason. We've had a bunch of specialists, whatever, from the free throw line to shooters, etc., to where we're getting his game in order, his offensive game, especially from a shooting capacity. And we're going to be full steam ahead with Ben Simmons for the upcoming season. They have to come out with that because even though they could go into training camp and not say anything, but the press is going to bombard them left and right to say, what did this decision go into not wanting to trade him? Or what type of progress have you seen 
with Simmons? Or was there a trade on the table? Or what teams were involved? You're going to hear all that. So for me to diffuse all that, you would think if you're the GM and a one Daryl Morey to come out and say, maybe right before the NFL season or right after, right after week one to say, training camp's a couple weeks away, we're not going to trade this player, we've worked with him this offseason, so you don't have to worry about that headache going into training camp and having that hover over you throughout the course of not only just training camp, but even into the regular season. Because if he has been working in the gym, and if he has been doing what he's supposed to be doing, and for whatever the reason, he's still afraid to take a shot mid-range or back to the basket, He's nowhere near the three-point line, so you know he's not going to even shoot there to where it's going to be addressed throughout the course of the season. Wait a minute. If there have been improvements or if there's been work in the gym, how come it hasn't been translated during actual games? So to me, I would think it's, as a PR move, it's best for them to come out to say something soon. They don't have to come out today or this week or tomorrow, but you would think that whether rumors start to bubble to the surface to where, up oh, looks like Simmons is going to be on the move and then make that move. Or if you know that there's not going to be a deal imminent or upcoming or on the horizon, you could just come out and say, he's going to be a part of our team. He's not going anywhere. He's doing exactly what he's been told to do this offseason. And we've seen leaps and bounds as far as his progression goes. And that's it. Because if we don't hear that come late September and into training camp and you don't see him taking threes or you don't see him with post-up moves or whatever it is, then you're going to wonder what the hell went on this whole offseason with Ben Simmons. So that's something I'm bringing up now because before it really starts to blow over or the Ben Simmons rumor mill or the storyline train starts to get on its tracks, I'm paying attention right now to see where this is going to go from here on out. So we'll keep an eye on that as we move it along here. All right, let me get to a few quickies before we say goodbye here. And we'll go on the ice for a second. I'm going to start with the Arizona Coyotes. And people say, Jay Reels, the Arizona Coyotes? Real? Really? Why are we going there? Why don't you talk about something else? The only reason why I bring that up is because their lease on the arena that they play in, this Gila River Arena or Gila, I don't even know how to pronounce it. After this year, they're going to terminate their lease and the Coyotes are going to have to look for a new arena. We know they're not going to build an arena within a year's time. And I don't know if Arizona, the Coyotes, they're going to go back from Glendale to downtown Phoenix to play in the, what is it, the U.S. Airway Center where the Phoenix Suns play. And remember, when the Coyotes moved from Winnipeg to Phoenix back in 96, I believe it was, they played in that arena for the first I want to say maybe 8 to 10 years of their existence. So I don't know if they're going to take a step back and try to build an arena or try to get any type of clearance to get a building constructed there in the next couple of years. So that's going to be your standby to play in that arena in the meantime. But who knows? It looks like Arizona could be looking for another location and the one location that comes to mind could be Houston because there have been reports that the owner of the Rockets... Tillman Fertitta has had discussions with the commissioner, Gary Bettman, to see if he could bring an organization or a franchise to Houston. And chances are, Arizona could be on deck to move east 
into the central time zone and play in Texas to have maybe a little bit of a rival with the Dallas Stars. Now, with the situation in Arizona, obviously I don't have a finger on the pulse with this, whether or not they're going to stay or go. I would think, considering they have to get out of there after this year, uh, I wouldn't think they're going to go play in the U.S. Airways Center. Especially if they don't have a deal in place to have a building constructed, whether it's in the vicinity of downtown Phoenix or Glendale or whatever. Who knows? But I just find it fascinating because if you have that team that's going to relocate, and remember, we have another team that's going to kick off this year with the Seattle Kraken, it's quite possible that you may have another team, not necessarily from an expansion standpoint, but just uprooting and having a whole new fan base altogether, that Arizona could be that next team in line to relocate. So that's number one. Number two is the NHL going to adopt the ads on the front of the jerseys starting not this year, the following year. We know the NBA has done so now for the past four years. I think the start of the 2017-2018 season. So you're going to see hockey do that to generate more revenue, rightfully so. And then you wonder with the NFL and even with Major League Baseball, and to a certain extent, Major League Baseball already has that with the Nike logo, the swoosh on the right shoulder of the players throughout all the uniforms, you know, with, with all the teams on the uniforms. So who knows if MLB is going to do that? Maybe they'll have a little patch as well. That's for down the road, but considering the NHL is fourth, or in some instances fifth in this country as far as popularity goes, to me, it will always be the four major sports with basketball, baseball, football, and of course, hockey. So they get themselves into the advertising fray for the 2022-2023 season. So that's something to keep an eye on as far as revenue and more streams of income generated by these corporations that will be on the jerseys. And then the Sabres, their number one pick, the defenseman out of University of Michigan, Owen Power, has elected to play his sophomore season at Michigan. So you're not going to see him this coming year, if you're a Buffalo Sabre fan, and who knows if that was a decision made because of some of the turmoil that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Jack Eichel, him not getting the surgery, his representatives looking for a trade of their client to another team so he could get this required surgery for his neck. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Based on some of the things that I've read, the reason why he's going back is he wants to just return to school for another year, this was something that he had weeks leading up to the draft of him playing back in college and not necessarily making that leap to the NHL. But who knows? Maybe there was a little bit of influence with the Sabres and saying that ah, maybe they should get that situation taken care of and that he could just go into possibly after a sophomore year into an organization that has pretty much a clean slate if they do whether trade their star player or iron out whatever differences that they have considering he still has five years left on his deal at $50 million. So. And then lastly, Rod Gilbert, dubbed as Mr. Ranger, passed away over the weekend at the age of 80. Longtime Ranger, played his whole career 18 years, eight-time All-Star, was the first Ranger to have his number raised to the rafters, number seven. All-time leader in goals and points, death unknown, the details of his death unknown, So who knows if this was something that was expected or was something that happened sudden. But thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Gilbert family. Rod Gilbert, longtime Ranger, passed away at the age of 80. 
With the U.S. Open kicking off next week, pretty much right here at Flushing Meadow, and with Novak Djokovic going for the calendar Grand Slam, not only are you not going to see Roger Federer, as we talked about last week, but you're not going to see Rafael Nadal either, as a foot injury has knocked him out of the tournament, which sets it up for Djokovic here, because similar to the situation with Wimbledon, and even though Federer did play Wimbledon and was ousted, but... I'm not going to say he has a clear-cut path to winning this calendar slam. We know he's going to have guys like Stefano Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev, Daniel Medvedev. Those are going to be the three guys that are going to compete and try to dethrone and upset the apple cart when it comes to this historic achievement. But I would think Novak is going to make it. He loves playing on the hard surface. I think he's going to win this and win the calendar slam and Right there, he's your sportsman of the year. I don't care who does what in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes could throw for 100 touchdowns. What Djokovic is about to embark on is something that hasn't been done in over a half a century. And that's when all four Grand Slams in one calendar year. So, does this mean if he does win, is there going to be an asterisk next to it because Nadal didn't play in Wimbledon? And in U.S. Open, which is pretty much his most fiercest competitor, even though you could say Federer would have been one to compete with Djokovic, but Djokovic had such a competitive edge and better record over Federer that maybe it's too much of a foregone conclusion to think that Federer, even on his best day, could beat Djokovic with the peak performance that he's playing with right now. Interesting questions abound. But to me, there's not a doubt Zero asterisk if Djokovic does win this tournament, even with no Nadal, even with no Federer, I'm sorry. You still have some competitive players there on the circuit that could beat Djokovic. And you never know. you got to wait and see it all unfold. But even without his peers over the last decade plus, without Federer and Nadal, to me, I think it's going to be Djokovic's tournament to lose. And if he does, it will be a shock. And then lastly, we had this Manny Pacquiao fight, which was supposed to be against Errol Spence Jr., the up-and-coming welterweight, and he had to bow out because of a retina issue with his eye. had to get surgery, so he was done. So where they called up this kid, Johannes Uga, so I believe he's from Cuba. I didn't watch the fight. I just got bits and pieces just on stuff I read and highlights and clips of things of that nature, but if Ugas went in there and won a unanimous decision in beating Pacquiao, could you only imagine what Errol Spence Jr. would have done? And I don't want to diminish anything of what Ugas did. He had 11 days to prepare himself to fight Pacquiao. And we understand that Pacquiao's long in the tooth and his best days are well behind him. But even for a guy that rolled out out of bed and went in there, competed, and beat Pacquiao to the point he was unanimous, you got to give him credit. And I get people could say, Jay Reels, oh, but come on, Pacquiao's an old man. You or I could go in the ring and beat him. Now, of course, that's not going to be the case. I know that's the joke that I'll have when you have a guy who's aging or let's say, for instance, if you have a pitcher that's been beat up left and right and they say, I could stand up against this guy at home play and hit a home run off of him. But Pacquiao, even with him, 
with other endeavors, looking for a possible presidential bid in his native Philippines and so many other things that he's been working on. And who knows, maybe he took his opponent lightly, knowing that it wasn't Spence in there and Ugas went in there and did some damage. If you saw Pacquiao in the post-fight match or the post-fight presser, he had welts all over his forehead. He had sunglasses on. I mean, Ugas did a number on him. And Pacquiao, we understand, great champion, iconic fighter, all the fights that we could talk about until we're blue in the face. But it is time, my guy. It's time for him to hang it up. Let him go into politics. Let him try to do what he can for his country in the Philippines. Boxing, you had your career. I would hope that this wasn't a money grab by any stretch, but this is it. I don't think anybody wants to see Pacquiao anymore. I know I don't. And look, I haven't even watched the fight and haven't watched his most recent fights. But we know when it's time, it's time. And for him, just go off into the sunset. Hopefully become the president of the Philippines. Turn whatever it is that's going on over there. Whatever it is. Obviously, I don't have my fingers on the pulse. I'm sure everything's fine in the Philippines. But whatever he could do to put his fingerprints on making it even better than what it is, fine. But as far as boxing goes, you've had your Dana son. Now, let me get to my hero in Zero of the Week to close us out. My hero of the week goes to former Ranger goaltender Henwick Lundquist, who announced his retirement after 15 years in the National Hockey League. Now, he did sign that one-year deal with the Capitals in which he did not play because he had a heart issue in which he had to get open-heart surgery performed. And for all the reports, everything's fine. He's going to lead a great career or a great post-career, I should say, and live a good life. But for everything that he did on the ice, five-time All-Star, won a Vezina Trophy as best goalie in the league in 11 and 12. I'm sure was a runner-up many times after that. Most wins, shutouts in Ranger history. When you think about Ranger goaltenders, the first one comes to mind is Mike Ricker because he won the Cup in 94. But he has over 140 victories more than Richter. And I'm talking about Henrik Lundqvist. So whatever he does from here on out, All the best to him. So, Henrik Lundqvist, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Detroit Tigers TV analyst Jack Morris for using an accent when Angel Phenom Shohei Otani came up to the plate in a game situation on Tuesday. Now, he did apologize before the start of the ninth inning of the game because of what he said was offensive towards the Asian community. He used a particular accent as he approached the plate in the sixth inning. And I won't repeat what he said. All I got to do is just look it up. Online, I'm sure you'll find the article. It's out there. But he has been suspended by the Tigers. I don't know how long based on the insensitivity of his remark and the accent and how it was depicted. So Jack Morris, we all know the game, big game pitcher that he was in the 80s and for the Twins in the championship year of 1991. Just a bad display there on the air. And we understand he apologized, but Jack Morris, you are my zero of the week and that'll do it episode 210 just about in the books but some quick housekeeping before we go as I said at the very top and I'll say it again I appreciate each and every one of you for downloading streaming taking the time out to out of your busy schedule to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports and I hope I was able to entertain and inform you throughout the past hour and 20 minutes or so and if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate your time. It is not taken for granted by any stretch. 
So throw me a few stars. Throw me a nice review if you can. It's going to increase the visibility with all the other podcasts that are out there as I continue to try to move up the ranks and try to get myself to be a household name with all the other guys that are out there. So again, please subscribe, rate, and review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with a DM, send me an email with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following on Instagram, JReels, or the JReels Podcast. On Twitter, JReels1, just a number at the end of that. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, and an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please, whatever you want to send, shoot it my way. I'll be sure to follow up ASAP. And then finally, when it comes to the production of this podcast, if you want to put forth a contribution to that, you can please do so at www.patreon.com. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to contribute. I don't care, dime, dollar, five bucks, whatever it is, that will 100% go to the upkeep of the website, the equipment, the production, everything that encompasses this endeavor and what I do to put forth week in and week out and hopefully twice a week as I'm trying to generate guests, which is another reason why I ask you guys to, to subscribe, rate, and review. Because if you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA to discuss everything, my passion, my excitement, the fire of all that's going on to entertain and inform you guys, like I said, on everything that's happening on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, On the flip, baby.